This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome poet and historian Michael Morrow DeBonis to the program. Hello, Michael. How are you, Bob? Okay. Uh, Michael Morrow DeBonis lives on Long Island. He's a graduate of both SUNY Stony Brook and Suffolk County Community College. His current work can be found both in the New York History Review and the New York History Blog. In fact, Historians Podcast producer Dave Green was intrigued by a recent article that Michael DeBonis wrote for the New York History Blog entitled Boxer Carmen Basilio, Thunder from the North. So we're going to start off by uh, asking Michael about uh, Carmen Basilio. Uh, Where was uh, Carmen Basilio from? He was from a small town in uh, from upstate New York called Canastota. And uh, his family, they were uh, poor potato farmers. And Carmen uh, grew up on the potato farm uh, helping his family in the fields. And uh, it was a very uh, rigorous uh, work, to say the least. Uh, mm. Long hours, uh, unpleasant weather conditions many times. And he was determined uh, by the fourth grade uh, to become a professional fighter and to stay out of the family business uh, once he came of age. Well, one thing I've seen, though, you said potato. I thought they, they were onion sorry, farmers. Onion farmer. <laughs> okay, they, are, they, they were onion farmers. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, I... I, I Go ahead. I apologize for that, but um, he he was um, he had an early inkling uh, in his life uh, that he wanted to participate in boxing, and that's what what wound up happening. And uh, I mean, if you look at uh, any fighter uh, of note, uh, most of them try to avoid the ring. I mean, Joe Lewis initially wanted to be a musician, and his mother paid for him to have violin lessons. That's not what mm-hmm. wound up happening to uh, to the Brown Bomber, but, uh, you know, Basilio had that early inkling that um, he was going to be a professional boxer, and he went full throttle with it uh, once he came of age, and, you know, the results are uh, historical, to say the least. And would you suppose it was... Somewhat because, you know, being an onion farmer is, is tough. I mean, it's really hard work, and there's probably not a great deal of uh, financial reward for it. Well, yeah, I, I think that that statement is very accurate. Uh, the, 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 the work on the farm was uh, extremely intense and exhausting, and uh, Carmen and his parents, they, these were people that did not come from money. They, you know, uh, his parents were Italian immigrants, and uh, he was the first generation of his family to grow up in the United States. Um, so, I mean, you could say the, sa- the same analogy holds for those fighters who grew up in the slums of New York City or any, in any other, uh, you know, poor community in the United States, that boxing traditionally was a poor man's sport who, if you happen to be successful and hold on to your nickels as a fighter, uh, then doors opened for you and greater opportunities came your way. Uh, prosperity, you know, uh, and, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So Carmen, Carmen was definitely, Carmen was definitely motivated to, uh, to become a successful boxer. He had also started uh, boxing, did he not, when he uh, served in the Marines in World War II? 
That is correct. He did serve a stint in the United States Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, those those fights were very important because they honed Carmen's skills. And, um, you know, they contributed to his drive to turn professional, which he did uh, in 1948. He had a he had a bout. His first professional bout came against uh, a guy by the name of uh, Jimmy Evans, and Carmen beat him in three rounds uh, by knockout. What kind of a, a fighter was he? And maybe I should back up one on that question. You know, what uh, weight range was he? I mean, he wasn't a heavyweight, right? Uh, no, and- not by any means, uh, Bob. He was a welterweight. That's the 147-pound division. And, uh, you know, those guys are a little smaller than uh, the average Joe. Not not that much smaller, but uh, the average, the average uh, weight class we call middleweight uh, because they lie uh, halfway between the heavyweights and the flyweights. And uh, that's the 160-pound weight division. Uh, traditionally, it's considered the most competitive out of all weight divisions in boxing mm-hmm. with the heavyweights, uh, you know, usually running second. Uh, but uh, Carmen was, uh, a, he, he, he developed his style early. Uh, he was a weighed-in slugger, and his his um, physical durability was second to none, and his, his drive to uh, uh, train and as, an, as an athlete was second to none. I, I can't think of so many fighters who have that type of, inner strength where, uh, you know, they're going to the gym every day to improve the, their their athleticism, like Car- Carmen Basilio. I mean, you know, Evander Holyfield comes to mind, Marvelous Marvin Hagler comes to mind, um, Thomas Hearns comes to mind. There, I mean, there, there's a lot of other great fighters who had that, uh, Rocky Marciano, but Carmen really, uh, you know, uh, he was a stellar uh, athlete, and uh, he, he was very dedicated, and he was doing what he loved to do, mm. and uh, not every fighter can make that claim. Uh, Joe Frazier used to say that and mean it uh, in Carmen Basilio, but uh, I don't know about, you know, Muhammad Ali used to complain that, uh, you know, he was too pretty to, you know, for the fight game, and, <laughs> right. you know. Well, you write uh, he was relentlessly brawling, slugging style. Uh, it sounds like he was relentless in his... Uh, uh, attack in a in a fight, but he also absorbed a lot of punishment uh, himself. Himself, absolutely. Carmen, um, he he realized that the. I mean, between, he based his, a lot of times in boxing. Fighters base their fighting styles off of their personalities. So you know, Sugar Ray Leonard w- loved to be evasive and tricky with his fans and and his family members. And it came natural to him, and that is something that Sugar Ray Leonard developed into his own unique uh, boxing style. I mean, he he was a stylist. Carmen Basilio was not a stylist, and he was a very no-nonsense guy. Once that bell rang, uh, he came at you with everything that he had. Um, he 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 was smart in the sense that he knew he was very strong um, with his physical stamina, and he knew that if you did not give your opponent a chance to rest, he could wear you down. And Carmen did that, did just that uh, with any of his rivals, uh, Johnny Saxton and Kid Gavillan, Tony DeMarco. So 
it helped him in the ring, definitely, with that, that approach. Uh, he, he was a close-quarters puncher, and uh, when you're going in close to your target, that leaves you plenty of, of uh, room for your target to nail you with, mm-hmm. with haymakers and all types of other punches. Let me ask you about some of his specific opponents. You mentioned Kid Gavillan. I always thought it was Kid Gavillan, but Kid Gavillan, uh, that, that was a fight that uh, took place between Gavillan and Basilio in 1953. What happened in that, round, in that match? Sure. Uh, the fight went the distance, but it was a... Uh, it was a nonstop uh, epic uh, fight. Uh, he, Carmen, floored uh, the champion um, with his signature left hook. That was Carmen's best punch, and uh, the kid went down. He beat the ref's count, and he wound up finishing the fight on his feet. Um, he, uh, you know, uh, it was a controversial decision, and many of the spectators and members of the boxing press thought that. Basilio clearly out hustled the champ, and uh, Gavillan was given, you know, his title um, by way of uh, I think it was he won by a split decision victory, and uh, he retained the title. Uh, but it, it hardened the resolve of Carmen Basilio to just keep fighting. He knew at that point, once he proved himself against the champion, that he was championship caliber himself. Did they ever fight again? Uh, no, they did not. So then um, Carmen Basilio moves on to uh, battle Tony DeMarco. I, what happened there? Well, t- DeMarco was a was a, a fighter who in many ways um, was just like Carmen Basilio. He was a no-nonsense brawler. Um, he probably had more punching power than Carmen Basilio. Uh, he, he, I mean, he was a pure puncher, and he was a very tenacious and physically fit fighter, just like Carmen Basilio. Um, Basilio, the, the, the difference between the two, uh, they both like to fight in close quarters. Uh, DeMarco was a little more skilled with his, you know, his uh, boxing style, or maybe polished is the word I would use, mm-hmm. but the, the, the uh, the gods of war favored uh, Basilio because he was just uh, tougher physically than than Demarco, and 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 that's giving uh, Demarco uh, plenty of accolades because there was not too many people that could wear down Demarco and beat him like Basilio did. He was Demarco was a was a was a phenomenal mm-hmm. world class fighter. And this uh, fight took place. I mentioned that uh, Canastota is upstate New York. I believe we could say it's between. Utica and Syracuse, and um, this fight took place at the Syracuse War Memorial Auditorium, so Basilio had a home crowd there. Yes, he did. Uh, Carmen's fans from upstate New York were very devoted to him, and uh, he loved them. And, you know, being a boxing fan from, uh, you know, Long Island, uh, I really can't say that Carmen's appeal was just localized to upstate New York. I, I've spoken to boxing fans from all around the country, and everybody seems to love Carmen. Um, and I, I could remember uh, one of my first issues of the Ring magazine that I bought. There was a uh, a pullout poster of him, and it was him just posing for the camera, you know, minus... Uh, the ring, you know, he wasn't inside the ring. This was a snapshot, 
and I looked into those eyes, and those eyes were very unique. I really have never seen another fighter have that type of intensity hmm. with his eyes, where this guy knew um, he was special, and he, he knew that um, his eyes were very reflective of great inner strength. And, uh, you know, you could call it whatever you want, um, you know, whether it was religious or just, you know, uh, practical, but he had it. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, the ambition was there. And uh, I would say I, I've seen that look, you know, uh, in Muhammad Ali's uh, uh, gaze, but Carmen, Carmen was very distinctive. And... Um, I think that, I mean, if you look at the fighters that he fought, Pierre Lingois, um, uh, Billy Graham, these were all rock-solid, world-class uh, welterweights, and he beat them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that Carmen, in, in many ways, was uh, underrated by the boxing press because of his, his defeats at middleweight. Uh, Carmen was never really a true middleweight. He, he, he was much more of a welterweight. And if he would have stayed at that weight class, we don't know historically how long he would have reigned for, probably uh, into the early 1960s. But, uh, you know, he even said in an interview uh, he was turning 34 years old, and he, you know, uh, I, I think he just grew tired of boxing. He wanted to do other things. He was a family man. Uh, and that's what very often happens with fighters is that, you know, um, they outgrow the sport, so to mm -hmm. speak. And it's a very hard way to make a living. Uh, just like uh, working on an onion farm, I, I guess the onion farm, the hard work on the onion farm gave him that tremendous work ethic to carry over to boxing. And it, be, it made him a successful fighter either way. And I guess being in the Marines didn't hurt him. <laughs> We're talking with Michael Morrow DeBonis uh, about an article that he wrote for New York History Blog about boxer Carmen Basilio from Canastota, New York. We'll have more uh, with Michael in, in just a moment. This is Bob Cudmore. want to put in a word for our fundraising campaign to keep the Historian's podcast on uh, the Internet. Uh, please uh, donate to our campaign this year. Uh, donations have been coming in kind of slowly this year compared to last year, but we're uh, hoping to reach our goal by the end of 2018. If you want to make a donation, any amount, uh, go to gofundme.com forward slash historians 2018, or you can uh, send a donation in the mail, make the check out to Bob Cudmore, send to Bob Cudmore at 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. Michael Moro de Bonis is with us. He's uh, interested in various uh, history topics, including uh, modern boxing, if you will, or boxing of the past uh, 70, 80 uh, uh, years. We're uh, talking about the career of Carmen Basilio. And you were d discussing how um, maybe he would have been had a longer reign as a, a important fighter if he'd stayed as a welterweight, but he fought as a middleweight. And one of those, is this true? Is that one of the middleweight fighters that he fought was Sugar Ray Robinson? Yes, that was, uh, that was a, a, somewhat of an upset. Uh, Carmen had a fierce reputation in the ring, and he was a very successful fighter. He had avenged several losses to Johnny Saxton 
And, uh, well, one singular loss to Johnny Saxton, and that was a controversial uh, loss that, again, the boxing press did not feel that Carmen Basilio deserved. He avenged it, and, uh, I mean, he he more or less cleaned out the weight division in uh, a very short time span. Uh, Rocky Marciano did something similar to the heavyweight division during the 1950s, Um, and really... Uh, he had a run-in with Sugar Ray Robinson early in his career on Broadway in New York City. Uh, he was snubbed in the presence of his wife. Uh, he just wanted to walk over and say hello to the champion who was emerging with his entourage from a uh, from a car. And Sugar Ray was uh, very brief and uh, cold to Carmen. And I think this was in 1952, and he, he said to himself... Uh, if I ever get a chance to fight that guy, I'm going to whip him. And uh, they they clashed in 1957. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though, I mean, box, boxing fans aren't oblivious to this, but other sports fans might be. When Carmen Basilio fought Sugar Ray Robinson, Car- Carmen Basilio was a reigning world champion. And they fought for the world middleweight title. Sugar Ray was long considered by many boxing pundits to be the best pound-for-pound fighter in the history of the sport. Um, he he came into the ring. He scored numerous uh, blows against Basilio from long range, but Carmen was able to successfully out-hustle him on the inside, which is where he did his best work. And uh, he out-punched the champion and and, and out and outperformed him in the ring for 15 rounds. I mean, he 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 was uh, Sugar Ray inflicted a lot of damage, but Carmen Basilio's resiliency pulled him through the fight. And he he didn't give uh, the champion time to to recover during the bout, and he was awarded a split decision victory over so, the champ. So he became the champion, the he middleweight champion, the middleweight champion of the world. He realized his dreams for a second time. He was he, this was his third world title because he had like like I said earlier in the interview, he had lost his uh, world welterweight crown to Johnny Saxon, who was a very good fighter by a uh, controversial, uh, highly controversial. Uh, split decision in Chicago. In fact, uh, the uh, he had two rematches with uh, with Johnny Saxton, and he won both bouts by knockout. So he, Carmen, when he squared off against uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, this was a guy that was already around the block and had proven himself to the mm-hmm. world that he was a champion uh, caliber fighter. But Robinson did come back and take the re- a rematch with Vasilio. Yes, he did. Uh, he had, I guess you would say, maybe more fire in his belly. But he, during that bout, he uh, he had punched Carmen in the face, uh, specifically over, over his left eye, I think it was, with, mm-hmm. with a right uppercut. And he he uh, actually, uh, the, the eye of uh, Carmen Basilio swelled up early on in the bout, and it impeded his vision for... Um, 13 more rounds this this guy uh he, he like i said he was a champion he would not give up his title on a technical knockout by sitting on his stool and, and prematurely stopping the bout he fought blinded for 13 rounds against one of the greatest pound for pound fighters in in boxing history and he he kept the fight extremely close to his credit i mean he he gave after the fight um boxing journalists interviewed both of them and uh, Sugar Ray Robinson's response, I guess this was as close to 
giving Basilio accolades from Robinson as he ever would give. He said, I felt like six men beat me up. So uh, <laughs> Basilio inflicted a massive amount of uh, damage to to uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, who uh, I think that was his uh, – uh, he 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 won and lost the middleweight title so many times. I think it may have been uh, his fourth time recapturing the title, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he he did it by the skin of his teeth because Carmen kept it that close. He 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 was able to successfully uh, outbox Basilio from long range and score with his handmakers. Basilio ground his po- opponents to dust. Um, you know over the course of an entire bout, whereas Sugar Ray Robinson, Basilio was a solid puncher, but Sugar Ray Robinson was, uh, besides being a speed demon, he was a, uh, he was an absolutely devastating puncher. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, his um, tactics in the ring were, were different from Carmen's. You know, he would, uh, guys like Gene Tunney and um, Sugar Ray Robinson and Muhammad Ali, uh, they were known for... Uh, what's called in the ring burying their rhythm meaning they had no regular set pattern of fighting they would they, they would get in close and score with punches then they would back off from long range and score with their jabs and they they were very irregular and unpredictable with how they variated their their boxing stances uh from round to round many to- many times several times within a round uh Willie Pep is probably the best mm-hmm. example of that and it's very frustrating for, for to, if you're opposing them in the ring because you really lose a gauge on how to judge uh, their 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 fighting styles and you know when's when's the next punch going to come from and where is it going to come from because they're constantly uh, altering their their position in the ring against okay. their opponent. M- Michael, I just want to get a couple of points sure. in before we're out of time. Uh, 1961, I believe, is when Basilio uh, stops uh, fighting. Uh, but after his uh, career as a as a boxer, he, he lived to be 85, right, uh, and died yeah. in uh, Rochester, uh, New York. And um, he, well, what did he do after he left? He he was went into business, right? Yes, I think he worked for the the Genese. Uh, I just want to pronounce it correctly. The Geneseo, um, uh Bottling Company, or oh Genesee, uh, Genesee. I'm sorry, right. Genesee Bottling. Know yeah, them well. They yes, make beer. Yes. yes. And then he was a physical education instructor at a college uh, uh, near Canastota, and uh, he did that for many years. Uh, I mean, who would who would turn down a uh, a U.S former marine and a former three-time world boxing champion i mean think of it this way back you know i i don't like to use the term way back then but way back then there was one there was one title belt uh per weight division and and mainly just uh two sanctioning bodies the new york state athletic commission and then the world boxing association Mm -hmm. uh then it was called the national boxing association and now there are uh you know 17 weight classes uh, and four different sanctioning bodies, which, you know, people complain, well, why is bo- boxing fallen behind? And I, I always tell, you know, my friends who are, you know, they're devoted to other sports like football and baseball. Boxing uh, became its own worst enemy over time. Uh, it imploded from within by having all these sanctioning bodies and uh, rival mm-hmm. organizations. Um, they, uh, 
they're really out for themselves and not out for the fighters. Uh, I also feel, and this is just my personal opinion, that there are too many different weight classes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's, like, it, it's like selling snake oil to me in the Old West, that, that bad stereotype of, uh, you know, the, uh, the con man going from town to town and, uh, you know, uh, pilfering from the locals. Sure. I just uh, want to get a couple other uh, points in before we're done. Sure. Uh, Basilio has, has a nephew, Billy Backus, also from Canastota, who became world welterweight champion in 1970, right? Yes, he did. He beat a phenomenal fighter in uh, Jose Napoles, who was from uh, Central America. And Jose Napoles was, call, was uh, called uh, Mantequilla, which uh, means very smooth, smooth as butter. And uh, he was a beautiful, beautiful boxer. And Billy Backus was a very tough, determined fighter like his uncle, Carmen Basilio. And uh, he, he earned his share of victories against the, uh, the world elite in the early 1970s. Um, and boxing... Uh, boxing historians and uh, members of the International Boxing Hall of Fame were inspired by both Carmen Basilio and Billy Bacchus, the place boxing's uh, most prestigious shrine in upstate New York. Well, I mean, that is really pretty remarkable. And it's near Canastota, as I understand, right off the thruway. Yes, uh, yes. The, yep. So, and that's the... That's like Cooperstown for baseball, right? It's the... It, that's, a, that's a great analogy, and uh, it's one that holds true. I was I, I visited the uh, the Boxing Hall of Fame back in 1993, uh, a few years after it opened, and uh, I saw Carmen stuff, uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler's, uh, Primo Carnera's, uh, the mold the mold cast of his hands by Muhammad Ali's and Joe Frazier's. I mean, it's a, it was a great place, and I know that they uh, they expanded a lot of the exhibits and the museum in general since then. Um, but that, that museum, I, I've been to all types of hi- historical museums. That one stands out as one of the best, in my opinion. Now, Michael Moro de Bonas, who's been talking with us about boxer Carmen Basilio and boxing as a, uh, as a sport, he also has an interest in the Revolutionary War uh, history. Uh, you have researched what was the, uh, called the Culper Spy Ring. Uh, what was that? Um, the Culper Spy Ring was an American espionage cell ring um, established by President George Washington himself during the American Revolution. What happened was um, the British had seized control of Long Island and Manhattan from the Americans, and George Washington knew that that the British psychology was that, and, and war strategy was, if they isolated New England uh, from the southern colonies by way of New York, they would split the continentals, uh, the 13 colonies, in two, and they would, they would implement a divide-and-conquer type of strategy. And I, I say in one of the articles that I wrote, uh, one of the ones specifically about Jacob Griffin, that New York was the linchpin in the, of the 13 colonies, meaning that if Britain was allowed to isolate New England, called the, they used to call them the troublemaking colonies because of Lexington and Concord and the Boston mm-hmm. Tea Party, um, they would be able to uh, uh, surround and engulf the Continentals and uh, put an end to the Revolutionary War early on, the rebellion. And that, that never came to 
to be. And anyway, what happens is uh, New York City is the, the the headquarters of the British Army in North America during the American Revolution. And Washington needs to know that in order for him to beat his enemies, he doesn't have a great navy. In fact, he has he he really has no navy. What he does have is he has an army of of, of uh, maybe twenty thousand Continentals, poorly trained, poorly funded, uh, poorly armed, and poorly fed. And he has to muster a world class army from literally nothing. But uh, he had the spy ring, and that's another interest of our guest, who's been talking with us about boxer Carmen Basilio uh, primarily. He is Michael Moro de Bonus, uh, who lives on uh, Long Island. You've been listening to the Historians Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.